Well, uh, happy December, everyone. Um, my name is Kondo. I get to serve as one of the pastors here um, at Mission Point. And, um, man, I'm going to try and get my stuff together after that time of worship in the presence of our great God. What a powerful name it is. Um, again, if you're a guest with us, a special welcome. We're so glad that you are here uh, with us. This morning, I get to launch a, a three-week series that we are calling um, I Object. Um, and I want you to see what it says in uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 10. Uh, it says, and the angel said to them, The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. That means the season of Christmas is the offer of great joy for all people. Regardless of who you are, regardless of what you've done, regardless of what you believe, regardless of what you think, regardless of what you've experienced, good news of great joy for all people. And yet what we realize is there are some in this room and many outside of this room who are not experiencing the reality of great joy. Uh, What this series is, is designed to acknowledge and address some of the obstacles that are standing in the way and keeping us from fully and confidently embracing the great joy and the great hope that this Christmas story and this Christmas season offers us. And um, our hope is that if you're skeptical um, to the claims of the Christmas story, uh, that this series will help you at least be willing to lean in a little bit more. Um, If you're a stranger to the Christmas story, maybe you're hearing it for the first time, that this series would invite you to learn more about this great joy that is uh, available to you. And if you're a saint, I mean, you're all bought in. Um, Our hope is that this series would invite you to buy in all the more, to become even more convinced of what it is that you have believed. Um, If you have a copy of the scriptures, meet me in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Now, we're going to spend the bulk of this series in the first two chapters of the New Testament book of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book of uh, the New Testament. And we're going to zone in on the first two chapters. And this morning, we're going to start at the beginning. In fact, we are going to start before the beginning. We're going to start with a prelude to the Christmas story. To ask the very simple question, Christmas, fact or fiction? Uh, We're going to look at the first four verses of um, Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read through them, and then we're going to come back and and work our way through uh, a little more slowly. But Luke chapter 1, if you don't have a copy of the Scriptures, again, um, as you can see, we'll have them up on the screens. But Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 1, says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. 
With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Um, Recently, uh, I heard somebody tell a story which reminded me about people in my life that I've had the great displeasure um, of knowing. And um, my suspicion is that if you thought long enough, you would call to mind somebody in your world that you have the great displeasure of um, knowing. And I'm not saying they're displeasurable in every regard, but they're displeasurable in the ways that matter most. And I'm going to give you um, one particular way. And truth be told, I have a sibling like this. I'm not going to name names. Um, but uh, I'm going to call them out um, anonymously nonetheless. But these people um, that I believe God places in our lives to keep us really humble are people um, I call movie messers. Um, movie messers. Now, um, let me say this. Um, the worst kind of human flesh, in my opinion, are these movie messes. But here's how it works. And again, I have a sibling like this. So uh, you go to the movie with this person, which is your mistake. I mean, we've got to own our responsibility. First mistake you made was inviting them to go to the movie with you. But you go to the movie with said movie messer who God has placed in your life to keep you humble. Um, and so you do your thing. I mean, you, the $14.50 mini Mountain Dew uh, that you buy and the $80 popcorn, and then you go in, watch the 60 minutes of previews, whatever. Um, and then the movie starts. By the way, I go to the movies like once every two years because it takes me about two years to forget how absolutely frustrated I was by the last experience um, at the movie theater. But you go and you start watching the movie with said piece of, of humbling um, um, flesh. But um, no sooner does the movie start to get good, does this person get going. And it starts slowly. It starts like this. At the movies. <laughs> okay. Whatever. And then it moves on to like, please. As if. As if, and then they just go crazy. That's not real. That's, that could never happen. And they start to get more and more verbal. Like, <laughs> they are honestly believing they are so far enlightened beyond everybody else. And if they get louder, that they'll somehow help enlighten the rest of us. And they just go crazy. That is not real. <sighs> Trucks don't turn into robots. That's fake. And robots don't talk anyways. And anyways, is there even life on another planet? And please somebody tell me, what does he do with the clothes once he puts on his little tight Lululemon outfit and gets changed in the telephone booth? What does he do then? This is not real. And tell me, how does a warm-blooded princess freeze everything? And at that point, that's when you lose your stuff. For the love of Olaf, let it go. Right? Like, I was okay when you dissed the Transformers. I was fine with Superman, but you took it too far with Precious Princess Elsa. Now, you take that back, right? I mean, there are people like this in your life. You may not know it, but it's true. And you just want to say, listen, I'm going to go ahead and head to the back row and hang out with people who understand that this is a movie. It's not supposed to be real. It is supposed to help us disengage from reality for a little bit of time and just have some fun detaching 
It's not real. Now, quick question. Um, Have you ever paused to wonder if the Christmas story were a movie, what genre would it fall into? Um, And if you took your family and friends and everybody else to see it, I'd be curious to know how they would react. But what genre would it fall into? Is it fact? Is it fiction? Is it fantasy? Is it fairy tale? What genre of movie is the Christmas story? I think that is a really good question to ask. And by the way, as you maybe ponder uh, that question, let me remind you some of the highlights, cliff notes of the Christmas story. A, apparently, an angel comes from another planet to tell a virgin that she's going to get pregnant. Oh, and um, God is going to turn into a fetus and is going to live in an amniotic house for nine months. So let me ask you again. Christmas story. Fact. Fiction. Fairy tale. Fantasy. What kind of movie is it? That's actually a really important question because I'm like going to the movies with an annoying person. The implications of that question are truly significant for our souls. If the Christmas story is a fairy tale, then goodness sakes, let's be entertained by it for a little bit. Let's let it help us disconnect. Let's help it to let us be distracted from the weights and the burdens of life for a little bit. Can we just have two hours where we disconnect, but we have to walk out eventually into the reality that is our lives. Um, if the Christmas story is a, a, a fairy tale or fantasy um, then let's let it transport us. Let's get carried away on wishing and casting aside all our, you know, limitations um, as far as our imagination is concerned. And let's for a season just picture and pretend our lives were perfect and we got to dream that they were everything we hoped they would be. Until New Year, of course, when reality would set back in. But... If the Christmas story is a fact, that makes all the difference. We should believe it with everything we are and let hope change our lives forever. Because if God really did come from heaven to our world, like we just sang, to be with us, then maybe great joy is possible because our God wants to take us from this world to be with him forever and ever and ever. And I believe that to keep us on mission, God has surrounded us with people who will hear the Christmas story and they'll say, come on, CGI, That's, that's green screen stuff, that can't be true. And they will not experience the great joy that's theirs because to them it's nothing more than a fiction, nothing more than fantasy. But the question is, what genre do you believe 
it falls into. Uh, Luke doesn't just want us to believe that the Christmas story is a fact. He wants us to be convinced beyond a reasonable doubt. He never wants us to say, it's Christmas. So, you know, it's the most magical time of the year. So just disengage from reality for a bit, dumb down, and enjoy Elf and sweet little baby Jesus. Who cares if it's fact or fiction? Um, Look at what Luke says. This is so important for us to see as we launch into this season. But look what he says in verse 4. He says, I write this so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. I'm writing to convince you that this whole Jesus thing is true. That everything we're about to watch in this season is a fact. And then he sets out to build his case to help us understand why that is. And I, for one, church, buy it. I, for one, buy the fact that the Christmas movie, the Christmas story, falls in the fact category. And this morning, we simply want to spend our energies giving a few reasons from this passage why we believe. This crazy story is a fact. And I trust we'll see why it is so important that we rightly assign the genre of fact to the Christmas story. So here are a number of reasons that I buy into the fact that the Christmas story is, in fact, fact. Reason number one, uh, the author. The author. Um, For those of you who don't know much about uh, the author of this movie, um, this book, he's a man named Luke. The book book is actually uh, named after him. Luke was a non-Jewish physician. He was a medical doctor um, with a reputation of being obsessively meticulous and thorough. Detail and precision were his hobbies. It's what he loved. Now, Luke had never met Jesus in person, uh, which means he had never experienced his life or ministry firsthand. Um, And we know, therefore, that when it came time for him to compose this story, for him to put this movie together, he had to research everything from scratch to become convinced that it was a fact. Look again at verse 3. Luke says, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. What we read in this book isn't just some all-nighter thrown together. It was the most carefully composed piece of research. Because Luke had never seen or met Jesus, he had to go back to the beginning and meticulously investigate every piece of evidence concerning the story and claims of Jesus Christ. He left no stone unturned. He left no witness uninterviewed. He left no evidence or detail unchecked. Poured over. 
the information that was out there. Which means what we have in our hands when we launch into the Christmas story is a quadruply checked historical fact piece. Luke was a thorough guy. So the fact that the author had never met Jesus and was a doctor who was very meticulous, if he's going to put stuff together, he had to do some serious research. That is one of the reasons I think, okay, I'm listening. But more than that, not just because of who the author is, but because of who the recipient of this book was. The recipient of this book and why he was composing this particular story. Um, This wasn't just some hobby project um, for Luke. It was a a persuasive piece for a man named Theophilus. Um, Theophilus was likely a powerful Roman official Um, a higher up in the Roman uh, government, who was possibly skeptical, had heard some things about Jesus, but was a little iffy. But more likely, he was a stranger. So he was starting to hear things about Jesus and was leaning in a little bit more um, and more. He's heard bits and pieces, but he's not yet convinced. That's really important. Theophilus, the recipient of this uh, letter originally, was an outsider. He had no context um, of the insiders who had been with Jesus. That means Luke cannot depend on nostalgia and sentiment. Because Theophilus didn't grow up around the church. He hadn't become inoculated to some of the crazy stories that we grow up believing. It's not like Luke could have said, hey, like, remember how, you know, when we were kids, we heard stories about, uh, you know, God parting the Red Sea. Theophilus would have been like, no, I don't. You can't part a sea. He would have been an outsider with no insider context. That means Luke had to have built a very compelling case from scratch because the guy wasn't saying, oh, yeah, 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 Moses. Oh, yeah, Abraham. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the, the start. No, he was scratch, meaning a compelling case had to be built because if Theophilus is considering going all in on this Jesus thing, And if, as we suspect, he is a Roman government official, he needs to be sure that what he's buying into is fact. Because the Roman government hated this Christian movement. They're the ones who signed off on the death, the execution of Jesus Christ. And they were the ones who wanted to do everything to vanquish this little movement. If Theophilus, a Roman official, was considering stepping into this faith, he wanted to know that he's not believing in talking snowmen and Shrek. So the recipient of this letter, I think, is compelling to me. So who better to convince him than, oh, say, a meticulous researcher who would hand him a quadruply checked historical fact piece? And look at what it says in in verse 3 and 4. It says, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything, because I'm meticulous from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent 
Theophilus, verse 4, so that you may know the certainty. You may know the certainty, facts of the things that you are starting to be taught. Uh, One of the reasons I find this story compelling is because Luke was already obsessive as it was. But add to that, he understood the high stakes of having to present Christmas to a government official who has access to some of the smartest people in the world. I'm just saying, A, if you don't really believe that a virgin became pregnant, you are not going to go and present this to Congress. And B, if you do believe that a virgin got pregnant, you are not just going to go and give Congress a haphazard presentation. You are going to quadruple check it to make sure it's fact. Because if you are making it up or you are wrong, they have access to the smartest people. They will debunk it so quickly, especially if the Roman Congress wants to vanquish Christianity as it is. You have to go in there with facts and research in an orderly way manner. When we come to Christmas, we are dealing with a fact-check story that survived the scrutiny of first century Rome. Because you know, if Theophilus got a hold of it and said, there are seven people who have debunked everything you've said. Do you honestly think this would have survived through the most hostile century and become the best seller ever? So the fact that the author named Luke was meticulous and he wrote it for a government official who had access to research is compelling reason for me to say, okay, I'm listening. I'm listening. And I want for us, church, to know, like Theophilus, with certainty, that what we've believed about Jesus is true. That as we come into this Christmas season, we are stepping into a story that is not fairy tale. It is fact. And if it's fact, then great joy is available to all. I would love for us as a church to be convinced of the truth of this story So that even at the threat of great risk or in the presence of Christmas movie messers who say that's fake, that we would not be dissuaded. And beyond being defensive against people who may disagree with us, our dream is that we would be so convinced that a virgin can get pregnant and that God comes to the earth and that sin can be forgiven and that joy is possible, that you won't be able to stop us from telling everybody about the movie. Because you know as well as I do, if you see a good one, you tell everybody. And that's fiction. How much more when the best movie you have ever seen is a fact? You're going to want to talk about it. And that's my hope. Um, for us as a church. All right, he, he keeps going. He gives us um, a couple more reasons. Not just the author. I find that to be convincing. I find the recipient 
to be a convincing reason to put this in the category of fact. But he also speaks about the accessibility. Um, I find the accessibility of this story to be one of the clinchers for me. One of the most convincing reasons. Because the posture of the story of Jesus is one of here. Come look for yourself. There's nothing to hide. I love that. That's compelling to me. Um, look again at verse 1. It says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. That right there is awesome. I don't care who you are. And I want to draw your attention, if I might, to two things that Luke says in this verse. He says, many and among us. Many, the first word of the verse, and among us, the last two words of this verse. And if you're a skeptic to the claims about Jesus, maybe you've heard bits and pieces and you just don't buy it. It's CGI. It's fake. It's a cushion in Mary's tummy. Or if you are a stranger to his claims, you just haven't heard much about him. These words should give you reason enough to say, okay, you have my attention. I'm listening. Because Luke says, many and among us. The Christmas story falls in the fact genre, and this is one of the small reasons I believe that. I don't mean to be disparaging um, to your religious beliefs if you are not a believer in biblical Christianity. I don't mean to be disparaging to some of your uh, family who may not buy into the claims of Christianity, but I still want to make this observation. That many, if not all other religions, are founded on the words, a dude over there. A dude over there. Not many dudes, not a multitude of dudettes, but some dude over there. Right? So a dude named Joseph Smith set out to create a religion built on claims that were revealed to him in some secret place by an angel named Moroni. Where? Over there in New York. Wait, some dude, the prophet Muhammad set out to, to build a religion based on claims that were revealed to him by the angel Jabiri out there somewhere. Right? So Gabriel, Jabiri, Jibril came to him and revealed these things to him. Over there, somewhere. Wait a minute. So some dude now known as the Buddha was sitting under a tree when he experienced nirvana and was downloaded with enlightenment that he has now taught and it's become a religious movement. 
Where? At some tree over there. Here's the thing. Wait a minute. So can anyone verify it? No, because it happened with some dude over there. Can anyone corroborate? No, you just have to trust them because some dude over there said it. And then Luke steps in and he causes Christianity to step out from the line of other religions. And he dares to say, many among us. That's really compelling to me. Look again at verse 1. Many, he says, have undertaken to craft, to draw up an account of the things, the claims um, about Jesus that have been fulfilled where? Among us. Many have undertaken to compose a narrative based on things that happened among us. I love that. Luke is saying, what I'm about to tell you, what you're about to read, this movie you're about to watch, It didn't happen somewhere in secret. It happened among us, which means its claims are accessible to you. What I'm about to tell you, I'm just one of many people telling you the claims about Jesus can be independently verified. Luke says, I'm not the author of this story. I'm just a researcher. I'm just one of many reporters who is telling this to you. Because these events didn't happen in some secret world out there where no one can talk about them. They happened among us. And many people experienced them and have gone about composing this story. I'm not asking you to trust me. I'm saying you can feel free to check it out yourself. It's accessible. You have access to the same files I do. I love the accessibility of the biblical claims about Jesus. I love the accessibility of the Christmas story. One of the reasons I buy into this story is because it's based on realities that happened out in the open, which makes it verifiable. I personally don't trust people who say, trust me. I trust people who say, come check it out. Because it tells me they have nothing to hide. That helps me. Because if you want to make up a religion that's not factual, if you want to make up a religion that's fiction or fairy tale, start in a secret place where no one else can verify it and people have to trust you. And yet, if you're a skeptic who may be tempted to object to the claims of Christmas, this verse ought to cause you to pause and ask, why would a fairy tale claim to be a fact and then open itself up to scrutiny in the most hostile of environments? Why would you dare roam to come and see? That's not smart. You don't make up a lie and take it to Congress and say, hey, check it out. Check it out. There's a bunch of us and a number of different stories um, recorded of these events. Luke is either crazy 
or he's super confident. And if he was crazy, I have a funny feeling Theophilus would have shut this thing down before he got to chapter 2. I love that about this story. But Luke takes his case to the next level um, in the next verse, and he gives us one more reason in this section of Scripture that I, I believe this story, this movie, this Christmas season is based on fact. And Luke doesn't just talk about um, the accessibility. He speaks about the eyewitnesses. The eyewitnesses. Um, he doesn't just claim that many others will corroborate his claims about the story of Jesus. Um, Luke says many of these others were eyewitnesses. That's a really, really powerful thing to say, especially in the first century. I mean, how else do you corroborate? How else do you build a case against or for something in the first century? They didn't have DNA. They didn't have, you know, Facebook Live. You know, they didn't have cameras. So how else do you verify something to be true in the first century? Oh, eyewitnesses were profoundly significant. he's saying they saw these things with their own eyes. And if they didn't, they heard it from others who saw these things with their own eyes and recorded them. And I'm telling you, I am a super critical thinker. And this has me saying, man, you guys are either crazy or you're confident. Look again at verse 2. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses. And servants of the word. So Luke is telling Theophilus, listen, a reason you can be certain about what you're about to read, what you're about to watch, is that it's been corroborated by eyewitnesses. People who know people or people who saw it happen themselves and have since written and passed it down to us. There's another word for that. History. This is so important for us because it tells us that the Christmas story should not be treated any differently than you would treat any other historical events that you believe. Eyewitnesses. That's big. Um, I have uh, atheist friends um, who like to remind me that they don't believe the claims of Jesus. They don't believe in God, um, and they don't believe the claims of Jesus. And as tragic as that is, I find it slightly amusing. Because these same friends believe in the claims about George Washington. And I find that really tickling. That's amusing to me. Um, guessing you've never seen George Washington. Nope. Okay. Um, so he must not exist. No, 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 no. He exists. Well, how do you know? Um, it's recorded in the history books. Huh? And, um, 
where did that information come from? Dark Hondo, a bunch of eyewitnesses who wrote it down and handed it to the next generation, and we now have it in our history books. Duh! I'm like, that's sweet! That's exactly the same thing as the Christmas story. Well, I don't believe in God. That's fine. Would you at least believe in Jesus? Because if you believe in Jesus, you believe in God. (laughs) When Luke wants to convince a powerful man of the veracity of the Christmas story... He appeals to the factual historicity of the story of Jesus. You can believe everything in this book. Because if you can't believe what's in this book, you can't believe anything else you believe historically that you haven't seen with your own eyes. I love that church. When we step into this season of Christmas, we are going to hear some crazy things that will tempt us and definitely tempt our friends to say, CGI, that's fake. There's no way that's real. There's no way God becomes a man. There's no way he comes to this earth to come after us. There is no way that has to be fiction. And yet, it's history, which means there is factual Actual hope for great joy. Let me tell you um, my beef with the church. I feel like I've been having a lot of beef with the church. I love the church. Um, My beef is that I don't know that we are often convinced ourselves of the genre of the Christmas story. I don't know that we are often convinced that the Christmas story is fact. I think way too often we treat the Christmas story in the Christmas season, and you can see it in the way we interact with our kids. But we, you know, treat the Christmas story like, well, let's just disconnect from our minds for a season. Let's suspend reason and believe the Christmas story. It's such a time to believe. And we speak about it like it's some fantasy, and the Christmas season is just mysteriously magical. And if you just suspend rationale and reason, then you can embrace the charm of the Christmas story. And for a season, we can be carried away, you know, with pumpkin lattes and all that the season brings. But then January will hit, and then we have to go back to our doldrum reality. Because the Christmas season is over. The movie is done. Let's go back out into the cold. I hear way too many of us, we talk about our faith like it's something that requires us to suspend reason and then leap off the edge. Be like, hey, don't think about it. Just jump into Christmas. That is not what biblical faith is like. And by the way, I would never encourage my kids to do that. You would never encourage your kids to do that. You never say, just believe. Disengage your mind and just believe. And then they go to college and somebody's telling them, you know, about the spaceship behind the comet that's going to take them to the planet Cray-Cray forever. And you're like, just believe. Just disengage your mind. And yet we talk about that sometimes when we come into our church services. Like, I just can't wait to disengage from life and disengage my mind and then just worship. And just for a moment, believe. And what the Bible is saying, what Luke would tell us is, you don't have to leave your reason behind to jump into the Christmas story because it's fact. 
Faith is not the absence of fact. In fact, if you have faith without fact, that's not faith, that's foolishness. If you can't tell me why you believe something, then you just took this blind leap without reason. That's not faith. Faith means I jump into something and I believe something that I haven't seen based on something that is actually factual. Your faith is as strong as a reason you hold it. That's why it is so important for us to understand that we are leaping into a beautiful story off of a platform of fact. My faith can be discussed. My faith can be verified. We act like the faith it requires to believe in George Washington is different from the faith it requires to believe in Jesus. It's not different. The claims about Jesus are just way greater. But no, there's reason, church. And what Luke wants Theophilus to be is convinced of the certainty of the things he is believing. I can't even begin to imagine what happens in the presence of a convinced church. My beef is that sometimes we just disconnect our minds. Jesus came all the way from heaven into time and space and history so that our faith can be something we can actually talk about. And not just say, well, just got to believe. Disengage your mind. Our Christianity is not a fantasy movie. It's a fact movie. And if it's a fact movie, we can talk about it and we can stand on it with immense confidence in the face of terror, in the face of opposition, in the face of any attempts to vanquish it, and in the face of movie messes who sit next to us and say, psh, whatever. So uh, this to me is such a compelling beginning to the Christmas story, to the Christmas season. Because Christmas is fact genre. That means we can proceed into the season and into the story with incredible confidence. And if you're skeptic, you can at least proceed with some level of curiosity. Because again, if you throw out the Christmas story, you have to throw out every other historical story. God came to our world to offer great joy. And I'd love for our church to know the story we believe falls in the historical fact genre. So you can invite family and friends to joy confidently to the movie this season, knowing that this movie has no end, just a place of access. And the Christmas season is a great place to start together. So, Lord, I do, I pray that you would um, convince us that what we've believed is true, that it is fact. So, I pray for those, Lord, who know you, that we would become all the more compelled, and that being compelled would drive us to invite people to this movie, invite people to this story, stand confidently on what we believe. Lord, I pray for those who are maybe skeptical and they aren't sure that, that there would be a willingness to engage Christianity, not to disengage their minds, but to engage it thoughtfully as something that is accessible and that's built on the testimony of eyewitnesses. And I do pray, Lord, for those who are newer, that this would compel them to lean all the more in 
to your story because Christianity is unlike any other religion. But Lord, all in all, we pray that this season would bring to all of us the great joy that you intended in sending Jesus to us. And what a powerful name it is. Amen.